there and welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. This is episode number 118 with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, where we're inspiring your faith and your pioneer roots, giving you old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets for a modern world. On today's episode, we're going to be diving into the kitchen because I want to always give you guys some practical tips that you can implement into your lives to give you instant success or almost instant and that give you building blocks so that no matter where you are on your pioneering journey, because we're all at different spots, sometimes we're further ahead in one area than we are in another, but the goal with any time that we're being self-sufficient or we're working on becoming more healthy, really any goal that we're working on, but in specifics talking about modern homesteading, which is a good part of this podcast, is we always want to be building upon our skill sets because I don't think any of us ever want to get to a point where we're just at a plateau, nor do we want to overwhelm ourselves where we're trying to do so much and introducing a lot of different things and a lot of changes that it comes to the point where we're just overwhelmed. And so we just shuck it all out the door and we're like, this is too hard. I just can't do this. It's all about balance, which I'm going to circle back to when we get to the end of the podcast and we do our verse of the week, because I think balance is really, really, really important. It's oftentimes something that we easily overlook. At the time of this recording, we are about mid-October and it is super rainy and stormy and windy out here where I live in the Pacific Northwest. We had some power outages yesterday, but this time of year when it's dark and it's just nasty outside really puts me into the frame of mind of getting back into the kitchen. Sometimes during the hustle and bustle of summertime when we're growing all of our own food and we've got all of our livestock and then there's the harvest and the preserving time. I don't have much time in the kitchen to actually cook our meals because I'm doing so much of the preserving. But as that tends to trickle down a little bit and we approach the holidays and we've got this colder weather and the days are getting shorter, so we're actually spending more time indoors because most of us aren't outside when it's dark out, right? We're inside more. I just naturally go back into the kitchen. The kitchen and the food that we eat was one of the very first things that I really looked at and started changing and really inspired my first book, The Made From Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Creating a Natural Home, and then the continuation into the new book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made From Scratch Living, that just released. And that is there are so many parts of our life that affect our overall health. It's all interconnected, and when we start in one area and we begin to see improvement, it just naturally spreads to the rest. And I am such an advocate for making it yourself, controlling the ingredients, using better ingredients, and by better, I mean that are more nourishing, that are less processed counterparts, because it has had such a direct impact on my health. Many of you know, I've shared this before, if you're a new listener to the podcast or you don't know the story, I'll give you a quick recap. But when I was in my mid to late 20s, I had really, really, really bad heartburn, ulcers, the whole stomach thing. I had to have my upper stomach and my esophagus biopsied for cancer. Thankfully, it came back negative, but I was starting to show erosion and cell damage, which at that point was a fairly young age. 
and I was already on the max dose and all of the prescription and all of the medicine things that you could use to treat that. I was doing them and it was not curbing the problem. It was a band-aid that wasn't even working at that point. And it was directly impacting my life in a hugely negative way. I couldn't sleep. It was burning so bad. I had a hard time eating at times and it hurt, quite frankly, it burned, it hurt. It really made me face and really made me look at at that point that I had to make changes. We were already doing a lot of things, homesteading and eating naturally. We were already raising our own grass-fed beef at that point. We hadn't introduced our own pigs yet. We were just starting to bring in our own laying hens. But it sparked the whole transformation to really take this a lot further. So we already had a large vegetable garden, and I already canned quite a bit. It really made me start looking at the foods that I was buying from the store and the things that we were eating and not just the things we were eating, but then it made me start to look at everything else, the products we were using to clean, what we were using to, you know, take body care. So soaps and lotions. And for me as a woman, makeup, because I will tell you, I am a girly girl homesteader. What do I mean by that? I don't mind going out and feeding the pigs and getting dirty and getting in the mud, all of that kind of stuff. But I like to have a little bit of sparkle on my jeans. I like to wear lip gloss. I still like to be a girly girl. You can definitely do both of those things and still be a homesteader. But it made me look at everything that I was using for myself, what we were eating, what was going into my kids' bodies. And at that point, my daughter was just a baby and my son was a toddler. When we started to make those changes, I noticed such improvements, like I said, in my health. I was able to get off of, I was taking different prescriptions up to six times a day because some of them I had to take on an empty stomach. Some you had to take after you ate, some you had to take with food. It was just this really strict regimen, but it wasn't even working. So by changing the foods that we ate, and just as a quick recap, I go over a lot of detail in this and my first book, The Made From Scratch Life, but I cut out all GMO-based foods or high GMO crops, so high fructose corn syrup, soybean oil, those type of things, canola oil, I've cut all of those out, food dye, artificial food dyes, all of that cut out. Then for a time, I had to cut out coffee, chocolate, even though it was organic chocolate and organic coffee. I had to cut those out. I had to cut out grains and sugars, and I had to give my stomach time to heal, which it did. And I was able to do that by diet. Then I was able to reintroduce some things back. And I've went through some periods. Sometimes I push it too far instead of using moderation with some of those ingredients, specifically the the grains and the sugar. And my body lets me know. And then I have to adjust those changes again. But the reason that I share all of that with you and gave you a little bit of backstory there is sometimes we get so busy that we kind of forget our why or we're feeling frazzled and we're off balance in other areas and we're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and it can be easy to forget why we were kind of going towards this whole movement of getting away from processed foods and the big companies because sometimes we just don't have enough time in a day to make everything at home that we would like to. I mean, in a perfect world, I think probably all of us would love to make every single thing that our family is eating at home and have not only are we making it at home and in our kitchen from scratch, but we're growing the majority of the ingredients. I mean, I think really, especially if you're listening to this podcast and you're into self-sufficiency or old-fashioned cooking, you know, getting back to the basics 
that really would be an ideal for us. But we've got to be honest, that's really not possible for us to do all of that all the time. So what I want to share with you today or is to remember your why, because when I remember my why, it gives me a renewed energy and a renewed passion for putting those things first and looking at where maybe there's some things that I'm doing that are taking me away and taking away from my time from the things that really do matter to me. And this really does matter for me because if my health suffers, then I'm not even able to take care of my family the way I want to and to be able to do the things that I want to do. And that's true for all of us. So I got to remember my why and to put that as a top priority, even in regards to our food and cooking from scratch. So I wanted to share with you today some really practical tips that I put into practice this summer when we were super duper busy that keeps my grocery budget down and keeps us making things from scratch, but it also saves me time because homemade should not be hectic. And this actually was spurned from some reader questions too. So I love it when you guys send in questions and comments because sometimes when we've been doing things for a long period of time, we kind of tend to forget and we're like, oh yeah, that this is what I do. And it can be a great way to help others. So one of the reader comments that I got in questions was, I don't want to buy a cold cereal for breakfast, but oftentimes we're really busy in the mornings and I don't have time to cook a full on breakfast. So what are some things that I can do or create to feed my family for breakfast? And it is an awesome, awesome question. I have not bought cold cereal and I don't even know the last time I bought cold cereal. We Occasionally, I will buy some as a special treat for my kids, and I do make sure that it's a non-GMO and organic grains or gluten-free, but it may still have some grains in it. And my kids don't have any food allergies, but honestly, unless I'm buying organic, I really can't find cereals that don't have ingredients that I try to stay away from. So for the most part, if I'm buying a more processed item like cold cereal from the store, I'm usually purchasing an organic brand. But let's face it, cold cereal, really even the organic non-GMO ones, they got a lot of starch in them. So they still have sugar. I mean, it's organic sugar, but there's sugar in there. It's pretty expensive. Even trying to find it on sale or less expensive, you know, three to four dollars for a box a lot of times that doesn't even quite last a whole week, depending upon the age of your kids and how big they are, right? How many you have and how much they're eating. And cold cereal really doesn't tend to fill you up or keep you full for very long. But it is quick and it's something that kids can prepare for themselves in the morning without the use of the stove. So I had to start thinking back and I'm like, oh, what are, you know, every, we haven't bought cereal in forever. So what do we do for breakfast? So that's where we're going to be coming in here. One of the things that I've started doing is making muffins and I will make a double batch and I will make up the muffins. And so I do it once or twice a week and make homemade muffins. And then that is breakfast in the morning for the kids and my husband. I actually tend to not eat breakfast. I just kind of follow my body's natural rhythm and I'm not hungry in the morning. I'm not hungry when I wake up. And so I wait until I'm actually hungry, which is usually about lunchtime. I'll drink water and have some coffee, but I don't really eat breakfast. Mainly, I'm fixing breakfast for them. So I make up a big batch of muffins, and I usually, like I said, I do a double batch. And so it usually ends up being about 18 muffins and then one of the smaller loaves of bread with the rest of the batter because I do not have another muffin pan to do a full 
24. I've got a 12 and then a six count muffin pan. So I can do 18 muffins at once. And then I just pour the rest into a bread pan. And then we've got a loaf of the same amount of bread. That will last us usually a week and a half, sometimes two weeks. But here is the key thing when you are making homemade muffins, a couple things. But the first one, food that we bake at home does not have the preservatives in it. So Muffins can stay out on the counter for about two to three days and then move them to the fridge. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one morning and lo and behold, you will see mold that has started to grow on top of the muffins and you don't want to toss that food out. So put it in the fridge and it will stay. I've had ours stay up to two weeks in the fridge and then we went through it all. I haven't kept it longer to see how long it would take it to mold, but up to two weeks in the fridge has worked fine for us. So two to three days on the counter and then move it to the fridge. You can also alternatively freeze the individual muffins. So you can put them in a, a bag or wrap those up, a freezer container and throw them in the freezer and then thaw them out each day as you need them. But the, the fridge just works fine for that. And then I don't have to worry about trying to thaw it out the night before. And then I really don't want to use a microwave on it. If I did forget and I've got this rock solid frozen muffin, then the kids can't eat it. So that's why I keep ours in there. And when I'm looking at the muffins is one of the things that the pioneers did, because I'm always trying to bring you tips from our ancestors that still work today, right? Because they were pretty smart. I use local produce or in-season produce, preferably what I've grown myself. And that kind of varies what our different muffins are. So we have been doing uh, chocolate chip zucchini muffins and they're actually double chocolate. And in the show notes, I will link to these different recipes that I'm sharing with you so you can grab them. But it's double chocolate zucchini muffins. To find the show notes, go to mostkinoris.com, click on the podcast, and this is episode number 118. This uses our zucchini from the garden. I just used the last fresh zucchini that I had to make this week's muffins, and then I had grated up and froze quite a few of them. So I've still got some batches in the freezer that I can pull out. I did dehydrate some. I haven't used the dehydrated muffins yet, but when I go through what I've got in the freezer, then I will be trying that. So Zucchini will take us through a long time. It adds extra moisture. It adds extra fiber. Don't have to use as much flour, which is great. And it's actually getting a vegetable into my kids' breakfast. Now, you have a couple choices on the flour. In some upcoming episodes and our Facebook live show, which is the Pioneering Today live show on our Facebook page, I will link to that in the show notes as well so you can catch previous episodes upcoming episodes, we are going to be having where we're talking more about fresh ground flour, baking with fresh ground flour. How do you adjust your recipes, the benefits to it and all of that. Your flour content is where when you're making your muffins at home that you can make them healthier or whatever your family preference is. If you've got some special dietary needs or allergies, I like to do a mixture of einkorn with einkorn is an ancient grain it actually has a completely different chromosome structure than regular wheat and a different type of gluten. Most people find health-wise that einkorn is easier for them to digest and it's easier on the system. I do a mixture. I do half einkorn flour and then I do, usually I've got an organic all-purpose blend that I will use or I like to use spelt, which is also an ancient grain, not quite as ancient as einkorn. It also has a higher protein count, which I like the protein because that keeps my kids full longer. One of the beauties of grinding your own flour is you're keeping all three parts of the wheat berry in there. So you've got the bran and the germ, 
you've got more fiber in there as well. So there's just more nutrients for your body in those flour choices, which you're not going to get when you just go to the store and purchase them. I cut the sugar way, way back. I actually need to update the recipe, which I will do right before this goes live as I'm recording it. For the double chocolate zucchini recipe that I use for both breads and muffins, the original recipe, it called for like two cups sugar. Originally, I bumped it back to one cup and three quarters cup. I've even bumped it back further, you guys, to only one cup of sugar. So we've cut the sugar in half. And like I said, I'm getting 18 muffins and a loaf of bread out of that on just one cup of sugar. I didn't tell my children or my husband that I had altered it because they care more about the taste than they really do about the health benefits. If mom makes an adjustment to a recipe, it better still taste as good. And so a lot of times I just don't tell them to see if they notice the difference. And if they don't notice the difference, then we're just going to keep it that way. And that's just between us. So hopefully they don't listen to this episode. That cuts the sugar way back. And then I also use dark chocolate chips. That adds some texture and a little bit of moisture and a little bit of sweetness. But I do use the dark. And then we've got our cocoa powder in there. Now we're moving into the fall and winter, and I just harvested a whole bunch of our winter squash and our pumpkins. We'll be having pumpkin chocolate chip and pumpkin spice coming up. Even if you don't have pumpkins, you can use winter squash. So if you've got butternut squash, feel free to bake that up and puree it. Use that. And anything that calls for pumpkin, you can use butternut squash. They're totally interchangeable. Then once we hit the springtime, I like to use the different fruits as they first come on. We'll do rhubarb muffins. And then in the middle of winter, after I've went through the winter squash and I don't have any more zucchini, I'll use a lot of the fruit that I've got preserved up. Of course, there's blueberry muffins, raspberry, and apple is another favorite. Peaches, I've got a peach buttermilk muffin. So I just kind of rotate through and make up muffins throughout the year. And then that kind of gives it a little bit of flavor variation so they don't get bored with having the same muffin over and over again. Another thing that I like to do is to bake up a double batch of biscuit. We're going to be talking biscuits for a minute because biscuits are one of our favorite breads. Biscuits, if we go back, biscuits were something that the pioneers made a lot. You'll find, especially like my dad grew up during the Great Depression in the early 1940s and even beyond. And a lot of times in the southern states, so I'm from the Pacific Northwest in Washington, but my dad and my grandparents came out here from North Carolina and the Appalachians in the early 1940s. And if you look a lot of that cooking during that time period, they didn't bake bread a lot. And this was true even during the Great Depression. The reason for that is because bread took longer. People generally didn't have that much time necessarily to devote to baking bread when you're using yeast and it had to rise. And you had the added expense of yeast. Now, if you're doing traditional sourdough, then you're creating your own natural wild yeast. And sourdough has its health benefits as well, which we can talk about more. Also, I will be sharing a little bit about some of the bonuses that you get with my new book, Handmade, especially if you're interested in sourdough. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the episode. Quick breads like biscuits and cornbread, tortillas, those type of things were used because they could be made without the addition of yeast and they could be done very quickly. They could easily be turned into a lot of meals. You could have your biscuit that was just a side, so that was a way to stretch whatever vegetables and meat that you maybe had the rest of the meal. 
You could have a biscuit as a snack, and then you could turn that biscuit into for breakfast. You could smother it with gravy, which we had last night for supper and is one of our favorites. Or you can also cut it open, slit it open, and make it a sandwich. Breakfast sandwiches are something that we like to do with biscuits. So you can throw an egg in there, especially when the chickens are laying. Mine have not went into full molting yet. Hallelujah. So I'm still getting eggs. And you can wrap those up. You can do a whole bunch at once. You can wrap them up at freeze them or... Here's another option because like I said, I'm all about looking for ways to save us time and still make it from scratch. When I do the muffins, I usually only have to bake muffins twice a month if they last that full two weeks. So that's great. I bake twice a month and that's our breakfast. I do the same thing when it comes to making biscuits. Make a double batch. So my recipe, which I'm going to share my recipe with you I'm going to link to that for a full-on blog post. You can get the recipe. It's also in Handmade, the modern guide to made from scratch living. So the recipe as is makes about eight biscuits, but double it. And I do this a lot with dough, any type of dough almost. You can do this. Double it, bake one up at that time for eating for whatever meal we're doing. Then freeze the biscuit dough. Biscuit dough freezes phenomenally well. You will... Pat it out, and I'm going to give you some tips because, y'all, we want flaky, sky-high, melt-in-your-mouth biscuits. I don't ever, ever want you to have to use a can again, so I'm going to give you some tips so that your biscuits turn out super-duper good. But you'll pat them out, you'll cut them with your biscuit cutter, and then you're going to put them in the freezer. Then when you need to bake those frozen biscuits, you're just going to put them in your cast-iron skillet or on a baking sheet throw them in the oven, and you just have to increase the baking time between like two to five minutes. So my biscuit recipe bakes for 15 minutes. So you're going to increase the baking time to about 20 minutes when they're from a frozen state. When they're from fresh, it's about 15 minutes. Let's get to some biscuit making tips so that you can make really good fluffy, melt in your mouth, flaky flaky biscuits. First tip, buttermilk. That's why mine are called flaky buttermilk biscuits. Buttermilk has an acid content to it. And buttermilk does amazing things to things like biscuits and pie dough that we don't need, but we want to be really flaky and light. Buttermilk will do it for you about every single time. I actually share within Handmade how to make real cultured buttermilk at home, which is one of the easiest cultures to make ever. Then you'll always have fresh buttermilk on hand. If you don't have fresh buttermilk, do not do not use regular milk. You can make a mock buttermilk so that you've got the acid content in there. You take a cup of milk, which is what we're going to be using in the biscuit recipe. Add two tablespoons of lemon juice. Let it sit and it'll curdle on up and it'll thicken up. And so then you've got the acidity in there. So don't use regular milk. You got to use buttermilk or that quick buttermilk sub. After that, you're going to measure out your flour We're going to put all our dry ingredients in there, mix that really well. And then the next step is cold butter. So butter is what makes biscuits, oh my goodness, gives it that flakiness and that really, really good, good flavor. You want to take really cold butter. I do not actually like the texture of frozen butter. I tried freezing butter once and then grating it in. And I prefer the texture and the flavor that I get from the biscuit dough when it's just cold from the fridge. I have tried the freezer trick, but I really didn't like the texture as well. I felt that it was flakier actually using it from the fridge. And I don't grate mine either. 
I cut it up. I first cut it into a half and then I quarter that and I use one full stick of butter, so a half a cup of butter. And then I dice that up into cubes and then I work that into the flour using a pastry cutter. I don't use a food processor. I know that's like a fast tip, but one, I do like to do things the old fashioned way. And two, I don't want to have to drag my food processor out and wash the cotton picking thing. It's way easier just to wash a pastry cutter. <laughs> so I do that. And then you want to work that butter so that it's into coarse little crumbles all throughout your flour. And I've got full pictures of this that you can grab in the recipe and you can get that recipe link in the show notes. After you do that, then you're going to use, it calls for one cup buttermilk, but you're going to put three quarters cup in first and you're going to stir it together just until that dough starts to hold together. You want it to be kind of shaggy almost. You don't want to fully stir it and have it all incorporated. Once it's kind of formed a little bit of a ball, then if you need to add a little bit more, there's quite a few dry spots, you can add a little bit more of the buttermilk. And it just kind of varies, which is why I say start with a cup, but don't add the whole amount in. Then you're going to dump that out onto the counter. You're going to use your hands and you're going to work quickly because we don't want to overhandle the dough. That's going to make it tough. And we don't want the heat from our hands to melt that butter. We want that butter to melt when it's in the oven, not from our hands so that we get those little pockets of the melted butter, which is what helps to create the flakiness. But to get those really flaky layers where they just peel apart, you're going to pat it out with your hands to about a half an inch thick into a rectangle. And then you're going to fold it in thirds on top of one another, pat it again, fold it in thirds. This is what creates those phenomenal flaky layers. So you're going to do it a total of three times, then pat it back out, and then you're going to use a biscuit cutter. I know you guys have seen where it says to take a cup. You don't need a biscuit cutter, a metal biscuit cutter. You can just take a cup and flip it upside down and cut yourself out a biscuit. No, 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 no. Because then you're going to get yourself a squatty biscuit because that cup pushes and pinches down the sides of the biscuit dough instead of a clean cut through it like a metal biscuit cutter and then your biscuits can't rise as much and if they can't rise as much they are not going to be as flaky see it's just these little simple old-fashioned tips we got to know you got your metal biscuit cutter now here's the other trick when you are cutting out your biscuits do not be a biscuit twister So when you push down with your biscuit cutter, don't turn it, don't twist it, push straight down, lift it straight up, and then put your biscuit in a cast iron skillet. Eight inch cast iron skillet works perfectly for this recipe. You're going to get your eight biscuits in there, and then you're going to put it in the oven because when they're close together like that within the cast iron, they rise up. It forces them up instead of out because they're kind of pressed together a little bit more. So you'll get even more height. Now, if you don't have an eight inch cast iron skillet, you can still bake them on a cookie sheet and they will still rise really well. But I just think everything tastes better when it's either in a mason jar or cooked in cast iron skillet. (laughs) So get it in a cast iron skillet. You're going to bake them up. I'm not kidding you guys. These are the best biscuits Ever. I know that's a bold claim, but I've had people say they've tried this recipe and they're like, oh my goodness, these are the best and tossing out the old biscuit recipes. So, and this recipe came from my mama. I highly recommend that you go and you use those tips. And like I said, so I'll bake half of it, throw the other part in the freezer, and then you've got biscuits on night when you're in a super big hurry and you don't have time to make biscuits or you have maybe unexpected company, you need to stretch that meal. Then you just go and grab your frozen biscuits. It's still totally from scratch. 
throw them in the oven. And the other beauty of that too is it really doesn't take that much more. I'm using the same size container and the same amount of time to make that double batch of biscuits, but I'm only having to do cleanup one time. Really like to double my recipes and use those for different meals throughout the week. It saves me from maybe going and purchasing something when I'm short on time. And it also saves me time in the long run in the cleanup part. So today's episode is brought to you by the new book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living. And like I said, if learning how to do sourdough, making your old buttermilk, your own cultured sour cream and those type of things, and just like this recipe with those tips on getting it to turn out to get that really desired texture and taste on certain things and the time-saving tips with our modern twist on freezing things, get your copy of the book. You can go to handmadethebook.com. It's also sold in stores. Barnes and Noble is carrying it in their physical stores. You can get it on Amazon, Christian Book Distributors, Target, Books a Million, anywhere you can go and grab that. If you see it on a store shelf, I would love it if you would take a picture and tag me on Instagram or in Facebook. I would love to see a picture on it. I live like two hours away from the closest Barnes and Noble or bookstore that actually carries physical books. So I haven't got to see it in the wild yet. So I'd love to see that if, if you get it. Go grab your copy of it. Go to handmadethebook.com. Click on the bonus section. You just punch in your name and your email and the receipt number. And I have got a complete bonus package for you guys. So we've got three bonus videos. One is how to do fermented vegetables. The second one is how to do your own sourdough starter from scratch and then with feeding and upkeep tips. And then I've got another video that shows you how to make homemade donuts that my mom came down to give us a lesson and my kids are in on that one too. So we had a family day of making donuts, which was really fun. So you get access to all of that, plus some other really fun downloads and labels and other bonuses, some freebies and some extra bonuses that you'll want to get. So you can go and check all of that out handmadethebook.com. Now on to our verse of the week. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 amplified version. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times, for that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. What really struck me about that is being well balanced is listed first before being vigilant and being cautious at all times. So not only for our spiritual safety, but all aspects of our life. Because if we're not balanced, then it's so hard for us to be sober of mind and to be able to make good decisions. Because when I'm not in balance then a lot of times I will make decisions that are based because I am tired and I am overwhelmed or I'm so focused on one thing instead of the whole picture that I might make that decision that I don't really want to make just because I don't feel like I've got the presence of mind or the resources to do what I know I should be doing and what's really best for me and my family long term. Don't take me wrong. You know what? Every now and then it is totally okay if you go ahead and you grab yourself a pizza or you eat dinner out, okay? We're using balance. See again, because you can swing too far the other way. It's all about balance in all aspects. But for me, I know that when I'm out of balance and I'm really overwhelmed, then that's when I tend to go back to what those easy grabs are that in the long term do not serve me well. They don't serve my health well. They don't serve my family well. They don't serve my pocketbook well. 
And they don't really help me to keep in balance because then I end up feeling sick or whatever, especially when I keep doing it over and over again. So making sure that I'm staying in balance in all areas is really important, but especially because I don't want to give the enemy any type of foothold, right? So I want to make sure that first I'm staying well balanced and then I can be vigilant and cautious at all times so that me and my family are not something that he is seeking to seize upon and to devour, that we can stand firm against that. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. You can go and grab all the links and the recipes at the show notes. This is episode number 118. And I really appreciate you taking the time and spending with me today. And I hope this helps you on your Pioneering Today journey. Until next time.